Hello, I'm Paul Eaton, and this is In-Depth Commercial Real Estate. This show is an open exploration of the people, ideas, and methods behind commercial real estate. My guest on today's show is Eric Floor. Eric is the Senior Vice President of Transformation at Bercadia, where he oversees the company's digital transformation. Eric works closely with Bercadia's senior leadership, borrowers, and lender partners to identify opportunities for streamlining the transaction lifecycle through technology, data, and process improvement. Eric is also heavily involved with the PropTech community and oversees Be Engaged, Bercadia's startup accelerator program. Thank you for coming on the podcast show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. So how did you become involved in the innovation space? Absolutely. So I started my career as a strategy consultant at Deloitte Consulting. And a lot of my engagements were around growth strategy and helping clients drive top line revenue growth. Naturally, those engagements generally lended themselves more towards either innovating on new products or new services, potentially expanding into new markets, acquiring new companies. So a lot of my background and experience has been on taking Uh, new concepts and new ideas to market or working at at new ways of driving revenue. And as a result of that experience, I then moved on in my career and spent some time working for a family office, which was making some investments uh, in emerging markets, which got me exposed to a lot of different ways of doing business, how to potentially meet needs in a certain cost to serve that folks could afford in emerging markets. And so that continued to add to, I would say, my interest in finding ways to solve problems through innovation, and then ultimately ended up working at Mercadia in the real estate space where one of the reasons I was recruited was that Mercadia had a lot of folks who knew how to do a real estate transaction. We didn't necessarily at that point in time have a lot of people who could potentially think differently about how we could get those transactions done. A lot of the professionals would get their deal done and then just immediately move on to the next deal, acknowledging that there was a way to do things differently and maybe even more efficiently and effectively, but hey, the client called, there's another deal, we've got to jump in on the next transaction and, and off to the races. So my role at Bercadia started and, and has continued to grow in the innovation space around how do we help serve our clients so that way they can deploy their capital both more effectively and more efficiently. So what are some of the ways that Bercadia has helped some of your clients innovate? Absolutely. A number of things that we've worked on over the last few years. First, one of the biggest challenges in the real estate space is that data is very siloed. Even with inside of Bercadia, you have to look at three, four, five, six different databases or systems to understand what type of properties that borrower has, who is that borrower doing business with, what types of loans have they done with Bercadia in the past. And so one of the things that we really started on our transformation was how can we pull all of that data into one place so we have a comprehensive view of that borrower, and then we just control access to that data based on your rights and permission. Uh, So that was quite internally focused. We've also done some other things internally to standardize a lot of our processes. Uh, We've adopted some software which allows us uh, to very instantly digitize rent rolls and operating statements. This is a process that used to take several hours when a borrower first contacted us about potentially uh, financing a property. Someone would have to sit down and manually enter all of that data into one place. We can now use software that within a few seconds digitizes that data. And then we've actually hooked that data up to our valuation models. And so that within a few clicks of a button, you can go from receiving that property operating data to actually going in and valuing that property and making the assumptions uh, that you need to make. 
We've also invested very heavily in building some data analytics tools. These are tools that use various data points that we collect throughout the course of a transaction to help inform assumptions that we might be making around future performance in a particular market or submarket. In some cases, for our very loyal borrowers, we have also been willing to expose some of those tools to those borrowers so they can actually use those tools and benefit from some of the things we do as they start making some of their own uh, investment decisions. We've also partnered with some of the nation's largest lenders to try and digitize certain parts of the transaction process. One of the longest lead time items if you're going for a loan is the appraisal process. Oftentimes it's a several hundred page document. It gets sent to Bercadia. We then have to manually enter a lot of that information, share that with other uh, lenders. We then have to do the same thing. We've worked with some industry bodies to set standards around what data fields are, what sort of characters and data uh, should be contained within those fields. And now we're starting to offer some of that data to be shared electronically. That means that it's much easier to ingest that data immediately into our system and share that with anyone who needs to have access to that information, as opposed to the old way, which is forwarding around a massive PDF report. We felt a lot of pain of every deal we look at, there's a lot of manual input of data. And then once we get that data into our tools, moving that data to another tool, to another model is also painful. And I think that you're gone a long way to solve that within Brocady because once you are able to pull it in, it's able to pour it over to other models and to other tools much more effectively, I'm sure, than what we're using. <laughs> so, yeah. You're absolutely right. One of the biggest challenges is there's a lot of software out there which does a great job at solving a, a point problem, you know, a problem that's at one point in the transaction. Unfortunately, oftentimes those systems don't communicate well with other systems. They don't share data well. And so what happens is you end up with a network of solutions that work really well for certain problems, but then your professionals are entering six, seven, eight different systems, entering the same data in those systems. And so one of the things that when we started was we want all of our data to be pulled into one place. And if we're going to adopt a software, it needs to be a software that is able to communicate data back and forth with that central repository and not something that keeps the data captive in a separate system or, or is is not able to integrate well with other systems because that just adds to that pain that you mentioned some of your team experiences. One thing that brings to mind is the using AI to abstract leases. I think that's there's been a lot of movement in the industry toward that. My concern is that every single, usually every single commercial lease, maybe not multifamily, but we deal in industrial buildings, are almost always somehow changed during the negotiation. And it's difficult to pull that narrative out using AI into data that can be used, or at least can be relied upon to make pretty important decisions upon the acquisition. Maybe it can be helpful to pull up, you know, to, to find a, a phrase that someone has asked about who is responsible for a particular cost. But as far as relying upon the abstract, an AI abstract to make some acquisition decisions, we're not doing that yet. I'm not sure if, if anyone is, but I think that is on its way. Do you, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head with that. It is a technology that is very interesting to us. We think there's great potential there. Most of the information that we need to extract when we board a loan is in the purchase and sale agreement, which to your point, 
unlike residential real estate, where if you and I go to the bank to get out a loan or mortgage for our property, we really don't have a lot of negotiating power. You can negotiate over points, interest only, or sorry, not interest only, but you can negotiate over points, 15, 30 year adjustable rate fixed. That's about it. The, the overall terms and conditions are fixed. And the multifamily space, everything is negotiable. And so while we have seen some tools that have been used, say, in the uh, commercial office space have tried to enter multifamily. Basically, they pull number of units in a property, the address, some really basic information, but the more complex things in the purchase and sale agreement, they're just not able to pull out yet. And so we have not deployed any tools yet, which work on what we call unstructured data, which would be more of a narrative written form. We are, as I mentioned, using tools that, that pull data and information from structured documents like the rent roll and the operating statement, and those work extremely well. But we think in the next few years, as the technology evolves, and also as there's more and more documents available for the training, that then the AI will be able to start pulling out some of those terms. However, a slight mistake can mean millions of dollars of damages if it's interpreted incorrectly. And so we have we will be paying very close attention to that. And there probably always will need to be some form of a manual review process to make sure that that data is pulled correctly or there, there could be some really dangerous consequences for making a mistake. That's come across my mind that when a mistake does occur, who's going to be responsible. So yeah, it's interesting stuff. So you're involved in Bricadia's Be Engaged program, I believe? Absolutely. Tell us about that. Absolutely. So to your point uh, that I think you made earlier, you know, it is really going to take a network for the commercial real estate industry to transform and to digitize. Uh, you know, it is so fragmented. There are so many different groups involved that there's not just one entity that's going to be able to move it forward. And with that in mind, what we realized was we needed a forum which would bring Bercadia, our borrowers, some venture capitalists, as well as companies that we felt either had an interesting technology for, say, a Bercadia or one of our borrowers today, uh, or potentially in the future as their technology evolves, uh, really bring them together uh, to collaborate, start sharing ideas and opportunities, test pilot ideas and software, provide feedback in a safe environment, and really help nurture the development of, uh, again, companies that we think have something to offer to the industry. And so we launched our Be Engaged program about two years ago. We have a little over a dozen companies that are participating now. We have a number of our borrowers, as well as lender partners and venture capitalists who are involved. And we basically use the time together to facilitate connections, to provide feedback when we do test a product or an, uh, a software or test a data point maybe that somebody's brought to the table. We make sure that we help give advice on uh, business plans uh, and how companies are thinking about maybe solving some of the challenges that their startups are, are attacking. And, and ultimately, as a result of that, we have a number of active pilots underway with either inside of Bercati where we're testing software that a company in the Be Engaged program has brought forth to see if it benefits Bercadia. We've also facilitated a number of introductions to our borrowers who are doing the same thing. They've taken some of that software, put it into their operations, testing how uh, it's working, and then reporting back to the group on the progress that they're seeing. Are you making strategic investments as a venture fund, or is it more of a, a process to help them introduce them to clients? Right now, it's more of a networking form. Uh, we do not take any ownership, stake, or investment in uh, the Be Engaged program. However, if there is an interesting startup that we think has something to offer to the industry, we would be open to an investment and even potentially an acquisition uh, of that company if it made sense. 
you have any examples so far that a company you've partnered with has found a lot of success? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say two companies come to mind that we're actively working with. Uh, one of them is called Virtual Apt. They create very high-end, customized virtual tours of apartments uh, and other commercial properties. Not surprisingly, when the pandemic happened, a lot of our brokers who previously were interested in print books and print materials and great photographs called and said, I can't get people out to the properties I'm trying to sell. Do you have a virtual solution for us? And we said, absolutely. <laughs> Here's the number to call. And so as a result of that, we really were able to continue marketing a number of our multifamily properties, even during the pandemic, using the virtual tours. So that way our potential buyers could get comfortable uh, with what the property looked like. It, again, it's very high end. And so they're able to you know, get a really good feel for what that property is, what it's like, see a little bit of the neighborhood around the property, the exterior, the interior, uh, that sort of thing, and make that a part of the marketing process. So now that we've slowly begun exiting the pandemic, that is still something that our brokers are continuing to be interested in, as well as they are probably seeing a greater growth of that in the future. Um, you know, just like tenants, Prior to the pandemic, not a lot of tenants were willing to sign a lease without actually having a physical guided tour of the property. You started to see that change, uh, and you're now starting to see potential acquirers. If they're going to write a couple million dollar check, they still want to go see the property, but they're a lot more comfortable doing that due diligence and screening using electrical means, digital means, technology, and then really just narrowing their focus on those handful that they really think they're going to go buy and visit in person, as opposed to maybe before they would have actually gone out and visited a much wider group. Uh, in person. And then another company we've been working with is called Asusu. Asusu works to provide access to the credit markets for tenants who maybe don't have a credit score or potentially a low credit score. They work with landlords to make sure that your monthly rent payment counts towards a credit qualifying event. So that way, over a period of 12 months, you have 12 credit qualifying events. You pay your rent on time. Your credit score goes up by a, a pretty significant fraction. And so uh, what we've done is we've had some conversations with some of our borrowers to say, hey, there's a value prop for you as an owner operator who would be a borrower to Bercadia, uh, that you get tenants who have a, a greater incentive to pay rent on time. You have tenants who are able to get the benefit of having their credit score raised by staying in your property for hopefully longer than 12 months and maybe having 24 months of credit qualifying events and therefore your retention rate and turnover costs are much lower. Uh, and what we've done is we started facilitating some introductions to some of our borrowers and Asusu obviously gets some business. Uh, Bercadia's borrowers get a value add from doing business with Bercadia and we hopefully can help our tenants end up with a higher credit score as well and, and therefore improve their, their financial lifestyle. You know, I think the ability to have a, a VR showing of an asset would be greatly helpful because, you know, we're stuck with looking at the images on CoStar often, uh, looking on Google Satellite and Street View, just as initial pass to see if we're interested in going further. And it would be very helpful to have the ability to do a little bit more initial diligence at the top of the funnel to identify what is and what is not something that we're interested in. We're unable to do that. So I often go to a showing and it quickly becomes apparent that this is not something that we're interested in. So it would, it would greatly improve our process if that could be expanded out to other asset types in commercial real estate. Absolutely. And, and I know Virtual Apt has started to make some headwind or headspace into the construction market as well, where 
uh, the robots that they have are being deployed to monitor progress on construction sites and are the certain milestones being met and that way you don't have to have so many people or maybe an inspector go out and, and see something firsthand. And so the, the technology itself, I think, can be applied to any asset class. And, and you're absolutely right that at the end of the day, if you're going to cut a check that's $30 million to buy something, you're going to go put your eyeballs on it and make sure it's what you think it is. But that upfront part of the funnel where maybe before you were spending 40% of your time on the road and flight delays and things like that, where you weren't able to keep screening deals, if you can reduce that amount of time by using digital means, it makes your overall fund that much more effective, efficient, and ultimately profitable for your investors. Right. Another, I think a large movement in uh, commercial real estate is the rise of IoT, Internet of Things. you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, it is certainly booming. A lot of really great data and information you can collect. Uh, we're starting to hear of property owners who are able to do things like more proactive maintenance on capital equipment, whether that be the HVAC system, the lighting system, the sprinkler system, water system, things like that. Whereas maybe before you would have unfortunately waited until it broke and made a change or uh, the rule of thumb was every 10 years you go make X change. Uh, you can now deploy sensors and devices to actually capture data. And if not, maybe have a sense that, hey, there's a change in some water pressure somewhere. Maybe that's indication of a small drip leak that you can't find. You need to go out and actually take a look at it or just using a massive amount of data that these providers are able to collect to say, hey, on average, a piece of equipment from this manufacturer tends to fail at year nine, you should probably start to replace that at year eight. And therefore you can get ahead of it and avoid downtime, particularly when you think about a commercial office building in normal times or an industrial property, you know, downtime is a pretty significant issue if you have to do major unplanned maintenance. So a lot of opportunities there. I think we're just scratching the surface. If you look at other industries, which have been using this sort of technology for a while, like the airline industry and the things they've been able to do with maintenance on airplanes, on aircraft and on engines and things like that, and get almost really scientific that they see slight fluctuations in performance, which mean let's do a couple hundred thousand dollars of preventive maintenance now rather than a few million dollars of maintenance later. I think you'll start to see those things happen uh, in this space going forward. And also, I think that's going to change a lot of design. That's happening. You know, a lot of buildings today, there are some challenges in some cases with Wi-Fi throughout the building, particularly if you're in maybe a facility that has some really strong fireproof walls and things like that. You might actually have challenge getting Wi-Fi signals in and out and things like that. So I think new developers are really going to have to consider how do we ensure we can have sufficient coverage throughout the facility to make sure that we can collect that data, because that's going to be a huge part of what differentiates uh, owners and operators going forward. I think so. Currently, what we have to do is either use a very, very rough rule of thumb for a maintenance, you know, or we simply, as you mentioned, you wait until the tenant calls us and says something has broken and it's difficult. And I also think that we've looked at embedding sensors into some of our equipment. But if, as you mentioned, if things weren't architected on the front end to support this, it's very difficult to implement those systems. You're absolutely right. The design for performance is something that is going to need to be considered not only from the equipment perspective going forward, but also from the facility and the structure perspective going forward. It can be really challenging to retrofit some existing buildings. Again, speaking for some of our clients and borrowers in the multifamily space who 
maybe have acquired some older industrial facilities and created some lofts and things like that that are very appealing to renters these days. You know, you start getting to a brick wall in the interior that's 18 inches thick. It is really difficult to get a cell phone signal or a Wi-Fi signal to pass through that. So it requires a lot of uh, boosters and, and supplementary equipment, and that just, again, adds additional cost. And so architects and developers going forward are really going to have to consider how do we build structures that have a sufficient connectivity inside of them that these sorts of things can happen. Because when you think about an investor, you know, there was a period of time where you could benefit from financial arbitrage and maybe find somebody that could help you get a better loan uh, and therefore save some money on the interest. Most of that, I think, has been that arbitrage has been competed away and it's quite commoditized now. You know, hopefully Mercadia can get you a great loan, but there's a lot of other people out there that can as well. And so what other levers do you have to really differentiate your financial return? A lot of it's going to start coming down to I operate my facilities much more efficiently and effectively than someone else. And that's not just necessarily meaning that I drive the cost to the absolute bottom, because a lot of times that can then cause issues for the tenants and those who use the facility. But it's how can I really optimize my ROI on those expenses I have? And it's really going to come down to things like the Internet of Things and, and, and making sure that I can do some of that preventive maintenance when I need to and avoid major catastrophes or be very intelligent about when we do that maintenance as opposed to following that rule of thumb. And I think investors who don't do that going forward are going to have a really hard time raising capital because their returns are just going to continue to diminish over time versus those who really embrace these tools and are able to drive a couple extra percentage points of return. So we've noticed that there's been an increase in the use of technology within commercial real estate. And we've, we've asked the question, is this going to increase the speed of functional obsolescence? Where once, if I bought a building, I knew that things weren't going to change too much at the property level of what it needs to have over the next, say, 10 years. Now, I'm in, in industrial real estate that probably moves more slowly than multifamily. But I wonder now with the, the, you know, the need maybe to put in a sensor to measure the oscillations of an HVAC system. And if I'm able to do that, that's going to increase the operating cost. It's going to lower the value of the, of the asset. And I wonder how, if that's going to affect uh, values more quickly than they did in the past. I don't know. You know, that's a great question. And I think that's one that in short order, we'll probably have an answer for. You know, right now, I think a lot of these technologies are just starting to provide the positive ROI. But as structures are able to differentiate themselves based on their return, I suspect you will see properties that are purpose built to have this sort of technology used and, and can use it to optimize their performance. They're the ones that prospective buyers are going to bid up the price on. And those that don't have this capability, and maybe you're taking on a risk of, I don't know when we're going to have a problem with the water supply or the HVAC system or the roof or the parking lot, uh, those sorts of things. Hey, I'm going to haircut my bid because I'm taking on some risk. I don't know what it is. I'm not comfortable. And ultimately, you'll start seeing some property valuations come down for them. One final question about obsolescence, and it's about parking decks. Multifamily facilities, uh, communities have a number of different types of parking decks. And with the rise of potentially self-driving cars, but certainly with Ubers of the world, how is that affecting the innovation within multifamily? You know, I think there was a lot of people who had strong opinions on that prior to the pandemic. With the pandemic coming and suddenly some folks wanting maybe a little bit more space, potentially wanting to move to a suburb as opposed to being an urban core, 
how long is that shift? Is that shift permanent? Was that just temporary until the vaccine is rolled out and then people start getting more comfortable in the urban areas? I'm not sure we can really say yet, but definitely the uh, long-term trend had been more people moving into the urban core, being much more comfortable with a flexible lifestyle that maybe they didn't have a car. I know I went without a car for probably almost 10 years before I had wow. one. And wow. so, you know, that's that's definitely something that if you're building an asset today and expecting that asset to last 30, 40, 50 years before obsolescence, you've really got to think long and hard about what are some of these trends that are going to happen and how does that impact uh, some of the amenities I might want to offer at my property, one of those being parking. And do I think in the next 10 or 15 years, we're going to have entirely self-driving cars? I'm not completely sure we will have it in that time frame. Uh, there are a lot of challenges with just computing power and you, you have to use the benefit of the cloud, but then also have some of the edge computing. So that way, when you truly do need that split second decision, the, the car can make that. Obviously, when you're in a city like where I am in Philadelphia, you have a lot of very narrow streets, a lot of obstructions, uh, site challenges, those sorts of things that I think still need to be worked out in the short run. But, you know, if you're developer, you, you're not building a property for 10 years, you're building a property for 50, 60 years. And so the, those are some things you're really going to have to take some calculator risks on how much investment do you want to make in those sorts of things. Uh, I wish I had a better answer for you than that, but I, I think the, the confluence of the pandemic with some of the long-term demographic shifts has really created some uncertainty and unfortunately probably made developers' jobs even a little more challenging now than what they were maybe 18 months ago around those decisions. Well, thank you very much for your insightful commentary about um, the commercial real estate space and the innovation. I really appreciate it. And I'm going to put in the show notes how to contact you. So if everyone wants to contact him about the innovation process at Brocadia, I'll do that. Great. Absolutely. Thanks. Uh, enjoyed being here. Thank you for listening to this episode of In-Depth Commercial Real Estate. 